0: There was something there that was so raw, where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that.
2: Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network, every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify.
1: Welcome to the Modern Drummer Podcast. I'm Modern Drummers CEO, publisher David Frangioni, my co host Billy Amendola, and we're here featuring the world's most prolific drummers, listening to what they have to say, and bringing to you from inside the studio the world of drumming. Billy?
3: Hello, everyone. Billy Amendola. Tune in to some really interesting facts on the Modern Drummer Podcast. Oh! <laughs>
1: Welcome everybody. My co-host Billy Amendola and we welcome today Tico Torres. Welcome, Tico.
3: Hello. Yes. Hey, Tico. Nice welcome. How are you? Good. How's everybody? Yeah. Good.
1: Good. Good. Good, good.
3: So um, Tico's always been a favorite of us. So I don't think he needs m- much of an, an introduction. I mean, um, we've featured him over the so many uh, since since the uh, '80s. So um, he's well known, and if the younger generation that's who we really want so me and tico go back a couple of years and i know we know you know each other for a lot of years so uh, i'm sorry tico if some of this stuff is going to be redundant but we want to get you in front of the uh the younger generation <laughs> and uh, your words of wisdom to um no that's about everybody you know that yeah <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, we want your words of wisdom because this is where it comes from. That you know, everybody that's here now came because of you, influenced by you. You know, of course, uh, everybody knows from Bon Jovi, the drumming Bon Jovi, since since the beginning. I got to ask you a question though, that because I just looked on the Wikipedia, which I'm finding out lately, a lot of things are not correct on there. But this is something I never knew. Did you audition for Kiss when Peter Chris left in 1980?
4: No, actually, I was, it was in the same studio they were in. And I was doing a record for T. Roth and another Pretty Face, a New York based band. And Ace Freely walked in and he says, Chris is leaving the band. Do you want to join? And he uh, offered me some kind of like Mercedes and a bunch of money. And uh, I turned it down. So no, uh, I never really now, tried to it.
3: Oh yeah, because that's something we never, we never, I never knew that. That was something I didn't even know was out there in, in, in the yeah, world. It
4: was, well, it's not one of those things that you publicize. It came next door into our studio and asked me if I was interested in playing.
3: But that's a great story. Now, w- did you turn it down because you didn't want to wear the makeup, or you don't even want to talk about it?
4: Well, you don't. You, first of all, that's one. Because in those days, you had to wear makeup and nobody knows who you are. I go, well, shit, I've been doing this 15, 16 years so people know who I am. <laughs> I like, it's the purpose, you know? And uh, besides, I was just doing a record right there for a band that I liked at
3: the time. So, yeah, no, okay.
4: it wasn't my thing.
3: Now I'm going to go back to this because I want everybody, this is when I became aware of you. I want everybody to know about this. Except I noticed today when I went looking, you have a cigarette in your mouth.
4: Well, I got that from Elvin Jones. I learned <laughs> everything from Elvin. I mean, that's
3: that. I, I was, we're going to talk about that. You jazz. Well, for those who don't know, that's this is Frankie and the Knockouts. They had a big song called Sweetheart, but um, Tico joined after that and he was on this album, which is one of my favorites. And that's when I became aware of Tico and I became a fan of his. So I've been a fan of his playing since before Bon Jovi. So, uh, talking about jazz, because you and David have a, have this in common, I know you come. You were very into jazz, um, which we've been talking about a lot, how so many rock guys, like Hal Blaine and all those guys, you know, got so much work because they were jazz guys and nobody wanted to play rock and roll because they were looked down upon. But I know a lot of people wouldn't realize how much you're into jazz because of you're in one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And you and David, Took lessons off of Joe Morello. Why don't you guys talk about that?
1: Oh, you studied with Joe?
4: Yeah, actually, I uh, uh, became good friends because uh, he he was teaching at the uh, Don Kirshner, right? And uh, he was still on the road with Bruce but he whenever he was home, he was he was uh, teaching there. And I walked in there. I said, "Let me check him out because I, I really really was hanging out a lot with Alvin uh, Jones, you know and uh, in a lot of ways, he taught me so much. But uh, so I went to see him, and I noticed in his room he had a leak in the in the ceiling. And of course, I'm an I'm an old roofer. You know, I've did that for five years. So I said, I can fix that for you. And um, I kind of probably I was 21, 22, and uh, I came there with the truck, the ladder, and fixed the leak. And he says, and we we became friends after that for for long, forever. And uh, you know, he said, well, anything you want, free. I fixed his roof.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And so did you study with him and go through uh, technique oh. of, you know, rebound and, and all of the things that he really was an expert in?
4: Not really. I mean, <laughs> what we did was talk theory and music. We uh, Became more friends than a teacher and, and student thing. Um, like Alvin, he never tried to, he goes, you can play drums. He goes, you just got, you got to, I want you to see why I play what I play against McCoy Tyner or, or, you know, or Goodman when he's playing the sax. You know, it's it's he wanted to explore that with me. And I was more interested in that as well. Not so much the actual chops, you know. And, you know, that's
3: a, that's a good point, because I, I always felt a lot of times you learn just as much, if not more, as we're saying, when you just speak to somebody who's you're learning from, because you, you like you said, you already play. So it's, you can listen to their records and study them that way, but to listen to their experiences and to feel like you're experiencing what they experience, or they're t- giving you tips, sometimes the conversation is just as important in learning.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
3: uh, I'd sit every time uh, Elvin played
4: uh, played in the city. I'd sit next to him at the like, Vanguard, right next to him, and uh, literally had him Jim toxic of course, and cigarettes, and just hawk them. For hours and days upon days. It's just the uh, best way to learn, you know, and then have a conversation with him, you know. So it was like, um, you know, and I went to the, to his, his, his brother's studio to actually take lessons and he heard me play. He goes, You don't need lessons. You need, we, we talked about music. He said, Maybe you need this. And that was uh, very helpful for me. Yeah. The conversation.
1: And then, Tigo, you would go back after being inspired by Elvin and sitting there and watching him and taking all that in, you would then go back in and you would, uh, prac you know, play Elvin kind of stuff. Were you, were you into Coltrane and, and the, and, you know, playing like Elvin, at least to learn from there and then build into your approach to rock.
4: Yeah. I was in, I was in, I was in jazz bands. We had, you know, upright bass player, keyboard player. I played with Joe Pass. He would sit in a lot. Uh, and I was in a band, uh, with Willie Bridges. Um, he did a record. I didn't play on a record, but we ended up playing calls off the corner. And uh, he was managed by the Pips. And that's where I met Miles Davis and, and Ron Carter. Because it was, it was up in Harlem, and I was like the only white dude there. And uh, they would say, you know, you ain't the most technical guy in town, but you got good feel. <laughs> and I would just play with guys that are 30, 40 years older than me. And that's how you learn. I mean, God, I was a kid, just a sponge. So I was actually in it, in it as as deep as you can be. And then, you know, I got into Ornette Coleman. I, I went to see one of the nicest things about living close to New York or in New York is you could see everybody. You know, you go see Ornette Coleman one day, you can see Frank Zappa the next. You know, I lived at I lived in much. club. For me, you know. Uh, you know, I got into the, the the jazz rock drummers like you know John Heisman from, from Coliseum, you know from Europe, and uh, their rudiment systems different. And you know, they attack all yeah. differently left lefty more than righty. So there's a lot to learn, you know. But the the, the jazz thing I think is more important was important for me because of the freedom and, and the the creativity that you could just it's pure high. It's you know you don't need drugs you don't need anything. That's the stuff. That like, used to get me really off and then the learning techniques to be able to, to now when you, you apply it to a rock and roll band, you don't have to play overplay. It. You just have to maybe underplay it sometimes and just add just a little innuendo because you, you're trying to make the song work. And that helped me a lot.
3: And how did, how did you become such a, a great um, song drummer, as we call them? Like, I
4: made a decision, I think, a long time ago, not to be a drummer's drummer. And uh, because I would practice my ass off and sit for like everybody else, you know, four or five, six hours a day. And then that was enough. But I didn't want to go out there and be the drummer's drummer. You know, I want to be the musician. I want to be able to play in bands and make music. So I would listen to whatever whatever the instruments are playing, whether it's the keyboards, who's taking that lead at the time, the singer, the, 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 you know, uh, the saxophone, the guitar, whatever. And, and always work with the bass player, and sometimes not play with the bass player, play against them, you know, to just give it another dimension, space. And I thought it was more important to make music and talk with other musicians. You know, uh, uh, you know I played in Sweden, I made, I got a record in, in 75 and I realized that they look at jazz and, and R&B a lot different there. And it took, it took a while to get this bass player, upright bass player to sweat after about an hour and a half he started getting into it and just, but it changed he changed his demeanor you know it was it wasn't just playing notes it wasn't being technical It was about actually feeling it so i think uh, I, I did that a long
3: time ago where did um where did hector is your real name but where did tico come from
4: uh my mother called me ectico tico it's little little hector little hector yeah ectico tico and then it's, phonetically i grew up in an italian irish neighborhood and they call me Tico. So that's stuck, you know, and then my, my son's name, Hector. And around that time, there was a there was a comic called H- Hector Heathcote, you know, and I used to get uh, used to get crap from all the kids on that. One.
1: <laughs> when did it occur that you went from being so into jazz, playing jazz, and that was really the style that you were as a drummer to rock and then find, and then Bon Jovi? Like, what were those steps? Well, I did them both.
4: I, you know, I did them both. I was into rock from the beginning. So, <clears throat> I th- you know, I grew up learning with, with the Beatles, like everybody else, like, you know, with, with Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, I finally get to play in a band with no ready ears down the line, But all that kind of stuff, I always loved rock. I just thought that some, some of the rock musicians took it a little further, you know. And, you, and you, of course, you could listen to records like King Crimson, and you listen to Yes, and you go, well, these guys did it in their own way. and uh, where they incorporated, you know, jazz rock feel. But I think rock and roll was always in my system. What it did, it just made me a better drummer getting into jazz. And then, you know, I I would do gigs, anything that would pay. I mean, I do a Wonderbird commercial or play with the Marvelettes or go on the road with them or Lou Christie or uh, Leslie Gore, you know, I worked with them all (laughs) because it was just a way to pay
3: bills. Right. Uh, You were a true musician. I mean, you were out there working. Yeah, and I, I mean that's you know what it's like. Yeah. yeah. And when you um how did it feel though when, when you when you met John and and like, you know, here's this kid and um you know you're you're already pretty established. And now uh, here's this kid from New Jersey. Of course nobody knew what he was gonna turn into, um, besides a sex symbol. I mean, obviously he was so good looking, we knew that might have happened, but um as far as a musician and becoming this the star that he was, he was almost you had a good 10 years on him, right? So he, to him, he was like a little, like a kid to you. How did that?
4: He's got nine years on him, yeah.
3: Um, well, you know, the bass player, Alec,
4: I grew up with him, you know, and uh, I mean, we had a band together when I was 16. And of course, he was older, and I always played with guys that were older. And um, so I knew Alec, and Alec's the one that called me to check this out. It was right down the street, just got out of knockouts, knockouts so knockout broke up our label folded and uh we just had a pizza and broke up and uh i was getting a call from richie blackmore and ronnelli was leaving the band and said look it's an opening you want to play and i just got off the road and at the same time i got the call from alec and this was literally 10 minutes from where i lived in Perth Amboy. and i went down and checked it out and i said you know what it's not the best thing in the world it's not the greatest band in the world but i tell you this kid's a star and i just saw his charisma So I took a chance, you know, I took a chance and, uh, you know, and it was, it was, you know, we, we did the, we got Richie and we, we put a band together and then um, it kind of made it made, you know, it started to make sense and then, uh, you know, worked hard and people knew me in the industry. They would come down from Polygram, Polydor Records and and check out the band because I think he had some kind of single deal with Atlantic that he won a contest and, uh, but he wanted to go and see if we can get other other deals and uh so derek schumann which is actually a base player from uh, general giant is the guy who signed us.
3: wow yeah that did that hit and then of course you know and and that's amazing like i guess your gut feeling was yeah let me take a chance on this and i mean i love that because that's how things lead to another i mean who would have known if you if you didn't feel like nah i'm not gonna do that this kid what's gonna happen with this kid i'm already successful you know so that was uh god bless well it's even bigger than
1: that because you're being tempted by an international rock god richie blackmore and coming off of deep purple and rainbow and they were really established so i mean it was really like one extreme or the other you know are you gonna go with a startup or are you gonna go with something more established and uh did they was the first album out or was this before runaway and and like when it really started to there was no
4: there was no album there was just a single that he recorded called runaway and, oh, okay. Uh, and and that was it. That was the basis. He won a contest. A-W-A-P. Yeah, he won
3: a contest on on one of the I think it was WAP or whatever it was here W-A-P-B. local station. Yeah. Okay. And And uh, because he 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 worked at his uncle's studio, we all everybody knows that story. And then he did that single, and it took off. You're on yeah. that. You you play on that. I didn't play uh, on on the album. Did right? you play on Runaway?
4: No, I did not. No. Okay. Nobody. Actually, <laughs> but, the only guy who played on there was Huey McDonald bass player oh okay because that was just a bunch of session guys that, he, that his uncle put together who did do you know who played
3: drums on that
1: no I don't even know no <laughs> uh, that's a
3: good that's a good question to, we can put up uh, for modern drum when we run a contest and then
1: and then you guys got the deal and then the records and then the whole thing started yeah I mean look I was married I lived in the house these guys
4: were lived with their parents so I mean I had to work a lot in between to try to pay bills and it wasn't until the third record hit. Um, so, needless to say, my wife got pissed off and left. <laughs> and so I, I said, okay, sell the house. And I was just basically on the road then. Uh, so it took, it took a couple of albums, the third album day, to actually hit. And uh, it was the help of a Doc McGee manager to book us everywhere. And because we worked everywhere with Japan, we, worked, we toured with everybody. And then we were touring with 38 Special in the album, a Slippery When Wet hit number one, and uh, when that did that, we went on our own since then. But it was yeah, it was a gamble, you know. But uh, but it took it took three albums for us to find ourselves.
1: When you made Slippery When Wet, and you're saying the band was finding itself. And, you know, of course, it turns out to be this huge hit. But when you made it, did you have a feeling like, wow, we, this is really we, we really got something? Because the songs are so good and you're playing on It's fabulous. You're playing on all the records. It's fabulous. But you can hear the maturation. You can hear how things are getting tighter and the parts are getting more well sculpted. And it's just really that record's just a brilliant, brilliant record. Did you Did you feel that way when you guys were in Vancouver and it was coming together? It was actually
4: very easy to do. You know, a lot of those songs were one or two takes. And when, when you do a song that's one or two takes, I mean, like wanted was one take. We couldn't get it. We went out to, to get dinner and uh, had a couple of drinks, came back at like 1130, 12 o'clock at night and banged it in one take. But a lot of those songs were one, two takes uh, because the songs were right. They were, they were felt right. And sometimes it, it, when it comes easy, it's because it's good. <laughs> you know a lot of times when you really have to work and, and work and work you got, you're trying to shine something that isn't quite as good you know and you know everybody goes through that you know but that this was uh this was one of those records that i mean we did the rhythm tracks in three days three and a half days
1: the whole record yeah pretty well wow, great that's and great. you guys were obviously well rehearsed then as well you knew the tunes and you could just play them down
4: and that was key that was key to to, to actually do all the parts and writing and put it all together before you go in there. And we've always done that pretty much because it's just why waste studio time. And there's certain things that there's certain magics that come out of the studio, of course, but it's nice to have a basis. And, you know, it's also nice. Some bands, you know, they're they're able to do a, a record live, do it for several months and then record it, which again could be a beauty to it because now it's, it's just really honed in. Or it could also be overplayed. You know, that's the about the bad bad side. But that you know, we've never done that, but I, I think it'd be fun to do that.
1: What blows me away, Tico, is that your background in playing parallel jazz and rock and the jazz side, when you think about Elvin and the music of Miles Davis and all of these different groups, it's it's so far out there. You go from here to the moon and back, and everybody is interacting in a you know, and, and a lot of musical notes and playing. And then you listen to your playing with Bon Jovi and it's just the perfect playing for rock. It's restrained, but it's, it's, it's perfect, really. It's just what the music needs. And how did you develop the, the mindset to be able to just be so on in a rock setting when on the other side of the stage playing jazz stuff it's so different. And a lot of drummers, when they get in the rock setting, there's all these little things that they put in that overplay that style because they're coming from a music. It's just ingrained to be playing off of all the instruments, but you nail it.
4: Yeah. I think, I think you have to, you have to be the song. You're you know, you you have to be that song. You can't say, well, I'm, I want to do uh, living on a prayer, but I'm going to play more like keep the faith. It just doesn't work. <laughs> or, or a giant steps. It just doesn't work. You know, it's like now I'm now I'm being a drummer's drummer. Now I'm showing Back. off my jobs. So I mean, sometimes you just put one hit somewhere or a triplet just to build something up and it goes, geez, that just made a song. You know, and then and, and it's really the the producer's job to to let that happen. You know, that's key. To 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 untie the hands of the musician, which I always thought like like Clint Eastwood's very good that way with his actors. You know, he just goes, hey, you act. I'll do the rest. And uh, same thing with music. You play. I'll do the rest. So uh, Bruce Ferrum was really a good that guy. He was a trumpet player, jazz trumpet player, but he he, uh, he knew how to step out of the way and give direction where needed.
3: And that's where producers are important because you need those. You're too close to it all the time. So you need those extra ears and bounce off different ideas with somebody outside of the band. So that. Yeah producers are very 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 important who, who gave you the nickname the hitman uh well I used to be the
4: heartbeat and frankie in a knockout so so i guess the hitman came from uh i guess
3: john john right i think yeah i think i think so i think you said that once before
4: yeah 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 and then frankie in a knockout see frankie used to call me the heartbeat
3: <laughs> <laughs> Frankie, actually, he just friended me on Facebook, actually.
4: He's a good guy. I love Frankie. He's such a good guy. Great
3: songwriter, man. I mean, he just yeah. had a big charity thing. Uh, I think we even ran something for him on, on online.
4: He's a hard-working guy, dude. really is.
3: Now, when you look back, because I've been, you know, we've all been stuck in the house, and uh, I, 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 I've i been watching MTV, and I'm happy that they, they went back to MTV Classics, and every Sunday, the whole day is all old videos, and Yesterday, a couple of Bon Jovi videos came on from the 80s, and I'm looking at them, and I've, you know, I've seen you so many times. I've sat on the side of the stage watching you. I've sat at Today's show with you, you know, so I'm a big fan of your drummer. But I'm, I'm watching these videos, and I'm looking, and I'm saying to myself, my God, at one time, this was like the biggest thing on the planet, you know? Does how, does that feel like does that feel like another lifetime to you? Or when or when you look back, do you look back at those videos sometimes? Like what runs through your head when when, when you when you you look back on those days? Actually, I, I just started looking at a couple because I haven't seen them in years.
4: I gotta laugh at most of them. It's pretty funny. <laughs> what I mean, you mean when
3: John's when John's flying through the air? <laughs> no, I mean all of us.
4: We were dressed like clowns, but it was it kind of worked in those days. You know what I mean? It's like okay. You know, and then, you know, of course, videos and, and, and the first runaway one was like this fire starter thing with the girl's fire coming at her eyes. I mean, you know, it's a $2 video, obviously. And uh, <laughs> we just got to laugh at those things, you know. But it was a new medium, you know. Again, you know, you could make a video for 30 dollars dollars $50,000 and Michael Jackson goes by, this one for a million bucks. All of a sudden, everybody's charging a million bucks. And it's like, are you kidding me? You know, of course, it's all recoupable. So you know, it's we we we, you caught between a, uh, you know, you're in a hard place there, you know, trying to trying to make that happen.
1: Well, the reality is, from from a standpoint of when those videos came out and they were top forty and current, and now you guys are still playing stadiums. A few years ago, Bon Jovi was the biggest act in in live music. So I mean, you're still playing to even bigger crowds. So the momentum's only grown from there, and and with your playing, I've had the privilege of seeing you live in all of these different generations. I saw you on the on the Slippery When Wet tour. Um, you guys did three nights at Great Woods at the time. I saw one of those all the way up through a couple tours ago, and um, and your playing is still. I mean, it gets better all the time, but you've always had a discipline where it's perfect for the song. So when I saw you then and then I saw you 10 years later and I just saw you a few years ago now, it's just really reliable, perfect playing. And, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's got to be a mindset, and approach to that, to be that consistent and to just, I mean, it just sounds to me from what you're sharing, you're just, you're, your zone is always in the song, which is why every time I hear you play the song, it sounds perfect for the song. You know, that's a discipline, you know, because a lot of guys I see play who have careers that go on as long as yours has with that kind of success. And when you see them on like the, fi- the fifth time, they're playing all over the place. They're just tired of playing the song. So now the song starts to have all these new drumistic little pieces. So it's interesting to them. But to the audience they are like, oh, wait, what happened to that Phil? And what, you know, why isn't he going to the bell? You know, but when I heard you all those times... It's the same. It's spot on. And, and to me as a fan and not take my drummer hat off and put my Bon Jovi fan hat on, it was perfect. Yeah. I mean, look,
4: I, whenever you, I got to see bands and I, I'd want to hear those certain songs and I want to hear the guitar riff the way it's done <laughs> because it worked on a record. It just sings to me. I mean, uh, and, and same with rhythms and, and, and vocal patterns, but it's also nice to see it go somewhere else, you know, but I think you have to be true to the song. And the fans, you know, I mean, look, the reason we're, we're, I guess we're still very popular and be able to do stadiums around the world is because we, we, we give our fans what they're used to having, right? And then with a just slight embellishments. And then sometimes we'll elongate songs and do stuff live. But then give them new material that we're growing. So they're not, you know, we just released a record in October and it's, Quite different, you know, but we had to. We had to say something about what's going on. with
3: it. right. If somebody told you, in um, you, you, your your youngest self, that you're going to have a no, no, number one country song one day, you would want. You would have said, "Okay, yeah, right." Yeah, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing. You know, I remember one conversation because I know you're into Latin music a lot and percussion. I know, and, and we, we we spoke about this me and you so many times, and we spoke about oh my God, years ago. Remember, you? I asked you if you were going to do any solo records because I think John was just making his first solo record and he was starting to get into movies or, you know, and I said, you know, are you going to make a solo record? And you said, we spoke about you wanted to do something with like very organically. I don't know if you remember this with organic percussion, like not real percussion type stuff, but just find things that sounded percussive and make a, a very like percussion type Wrecked. Do you do you remember that?
4: Yeah, that was my mindset at the time. I mean, I I built a lot of stuff, my percussions. Right, that's right. I made most of them, Uh, and I used a lot of them, and I lost a lot of them. I don't know what happened to half the stuff. You know, when you go to different places and keep them lockups, yeah, you you lose things. But I always enjoyed the. the, You know, I, I work with the indigenous tribes. I'm on the board of the Amazon Conservation Team, so. I go there and, and I want to hear their sounds in the jungle and they want to hear my sounds. And we kind of do that, make sounds on rocks and stuff like this with them. And it's interesting what you can make sound with. You know, um, you know I love Latin because I'm, you know, I grew up Latin myself, but uh, more with American music because we never played that much music in my house in New York City. Uh, I did have the opportunity to play with Celia Cruz and Cachao and Miami Philharmonic 72 piece Orchestra. Did a gig for about an hour and fifteen minutes, and one rehearsal. It was like unbelievable, you know. And my uncle said, "I don't know, Bon Jovi, now nah, you made it because I mean, when you have the Queen of Cuba and the guy who invented the mambo, and you're playing with him, you know, uh, it was it was it was the my my probably the best Latin gig I've ever done." Is,
1: or, is that recorded anywhere? That's incredible.
4: Well, as you know, that uh, the Philharmonic doesn't allow recordings. There is no recording of that. No, uh, it's weird. I mean, I flew in. God, it was probably 1998. I did it, but I flew in for one rehearsal with the orchestra, and I, I came back a month later and just jumped in and did it. And then my drum set was set up front. Cachao was next to me, and right next to me was Celia. So I was right up front. We had, I had five percussionists, and wow. and, and, and on 68-piece orchestra behind it was like crazy. I wish it was a recording, but you know, unfortunately, they they don't let you do that you know, in concert halls.
3: What a memory, though, and an experience.
4: Yeah. No, I I found a newspaper clipping.
1: That was it. (laughs) Dingo, what are you you playing for drums and cymbals nowadays? What's your setup? Uh, DW
4: and pasty. You know, I mean, uh, I I love the DW drums. I love the sound of them. Uh, You know, know you started
1: with Pearl, right? I started with
4: Pearl. I mean, they gave me an unprecedented... Uh, contract years ago and I gave them the first gold record they ever had. So, I mean, so when I walked in, you know, they had, they were together 30 years or whatever, and they never had a gold record in Japan. And we, we of course became very huge in Japan. So uh, they treated me very well. And, um, but you know, it got to a point where, you know, you, you, the people, all the people you work with retired and they're gone and they're not in your life anymore. So it, it changes, it changed for me. Uh, so I, I needed to go back to the original drum set I had was a DW that I used to have with Frankie and Knockouts, was a DW kit. And, um, they since perfected the, not only the, the shells were always great, but they perfected the hardware, And uh, I was just, they, you know, gave my buddy a call and set me up and they're beautiful sounding drums. They're probably the best things I ever played.
1: Yeah. And you always and, played Peisty? That's your symbol of choice?
4: Yeah. 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 yeah, you know, like everybody before Piesty, <laughs> uh, Zildjian was, you know, you're talking in the 60s where you'd have to try 20, 30 of them if, they, if you had them that many to, to find one you liked. It wasn't uh, consistent. As a matter of fact, cute story. I, I was playing in a club band and I was in East Orange. I was packing up, and uh, who was coming in? The name was the Buddy Rich Band. And Buddy Rich, so I'm, I I didn't pack up the night before, when I finished. I packed up the next day. And Buddy Rich, I hear him downstairs yelling at somebody in the basement. And uh, he came upstairs and, and I said, hey, how you doing? And blah, blah, blah. he goes, hey, could you use those symbols? And I, my children's were all cracked. And he went down and started doing something else. Then came back and said, look, he gave me a card. He goes, go to this Bayonne bus station, ask for Sal take two symbols. My gift to you. Wow. How about that? <laughs> So I went wow. to the station in Bayonne, and it had those, these lofts up top, and he kept all this stuff. The guy kept all his, all his kit right there, I guess for New York and, and that area. And uh, opened up. he goes, you can take two symbols. They opened up a trap case, took two. It was the nicest thing, you know, and everybody talked so badly to him. I go, that's a great <laughs> You know, but uh, I guess he felt sorry for me. <laughs> that's,
3: <laughs> that's a awesome. great story. That's, that's a that great is. memory too. That's what a big story.
1: heart.
4: Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. One, buddy.
3: Yeah. Certain people. I always had a good relay. I met him a couple of times and hung out with him a few times and he was always nice to me. So when people, all that stuff came out later on, I was surprised, you know, I I guess. And I was a little kid, so maybe, you know, I didn't see that side of him because I guess he wasn't going to yell at me. I didn't do anything to have him yell at me, but he was he was he did go out of his way to be nice to me. So. I yeah, met him yeah. when
1: I was 15 and he was really I I went back on the bus with him and hung out with him for a bit. Lenny yeah. and, and Armin Zildjian were there. He was very nice to me. He was a really good guy. I was nobody, just a little kid that was a big I, fan. I
3: think he just get, you know, he got a bad rap. Once you know what it's like, once somebody starts with the whole, you know, and then they found those bus tapes and you know they they turn it into a whole big, big thing. But that's a great story. That that's that's a great yeah. memory, too. Do you have those symbols? Don't tell me you got rid of them.
4: Of course, I got rid of them. These <laughs> I mean, symbols are like a hammer, you know what I mean? Like, I don't collect drums. To me, they're tools.
1: You know, I all your out. kits and symbols, like just in general, you, when you're finished, you're finished. On to the next one. Yeah,
4: pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I I, uh, I got a bunch in storage. I've given some to to, to people and uh, j- charity, mainly. I you know, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I you know uh, they're tools. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to, to. Me, the value of like guitars became like this super thing. You know, like three million dollar less calls and stuff like that. You know, and drums aren't that way. The drums are. Uh, it's it's a car that always runs.
1: And you you always play double bass, right? So your DW kits double bass, DW snare, two racks.
4: Yeah, yeah, kind of simple simple kit you know two floors uh
1: now you have you have a custom kit though
3: right they didn't they make two years ago or something they made you a custom right custom yeah kit.
1: yeah four
4: years ago yeah four years ago i got two of them that's right one's one's for the studio and rehearsals and the other one's for the for on the road
1: and, and did the, john you, douglas uh do artwork on the latest kit he painted him
4: yeah he did a he wonderful did job he, he did a beautiful job painting because I, I i had a line of baby clothes and I had these logos and, and the way it's painted. So I sent them a lot of information that I had. And he kind of emulated that. You know, because we're, you know, we're both artists. So, But I refused to paint my own drum set. So
3: Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to let people know that you're a really good artist and about the Rockstar Baby clothes. Um, what made you do that, the Rockstar Baby clothes?
4: You ever try to buy kid clothes for kids and they got pink and blue? And that's it? I mean... I mean, that's not cool. So, so I said, I guess I got to start a line. So my, mom, my grandmother is a seamstress. She made all my stage clothes. Even in Bon Jovi, all the stuff you wore was handmade by her. I would pick out the materials and stuff. And, until she passed away at 103. Oh, is, God uh, bless.
3: God bless. Like, like
4: 1993, something like that. So all my clothes were handmade. So it's not that far away. Uh, you know, I was an upholster, too, so I learned how to do all that stuff as well. Just to, uh, you know, make my own baby line. And I did that for quite a while. I had a store in Lolita. Used to be old Def Jam recording studio. I took that over and made that a store. And then I started a line in Europe, which was furniture, carpeting, and uh, and uh, I would always give a portion to children, you know, so it was fun clothes, you know. Yeah, I, I,
3: and then, and then, and then, artist I've seen your artwork. I, I, I love your artwork.
4: Yeah. That's, that's my other life. You know, I was, you know, I had, had my own gallery in Palm Beach for a couple of years. And, uh, I painted since I was five. I used to give them out as gifts. And then I had, I got serious and had started showing in Soho when, when Soho was actually full of artists, you know, now it's not, you know, has become something else. Right. right.
1: And you're still you know, doing you're still, it of course, right? You're still painting.
4: Yeah. Still doing it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, at one point we were off, and I was just—it was encapsulating my whole life in art. You know, I had to make a decision whether I wanted to go back into music or, or just you know, stay with the art.
3: Well, before we let you go, um, of course, this—I know you guys were supposed to be on tour this year and last year, right? And um, what's what's going to anything? Um, any updates for? i know it's still hard to say because nobody still knows what's going on but
4: the only thing we could could do now billy is is is, uh we're looking at 2022 and the only reason is because this thing has to be gone has to be away has to be in europe you you know they're way behind the united states europe um you have to look at australia asia and europe differently than america but everything has to until until the day you you can walk into a football stadium or a basketball game and go sit next to everybody and watch it, you're not going to see rock and roll shows from us because it doesn't make sense. You, know, you can't play for 25 people and 25% audiences, 50% audience. You've got to play for everybody. So hopefully we could, you know, by 2022, fall of 2022, maybe, maybe we could um, get it together for that. You know, we're not alone. I mean, every band, I'm sure, wants to do it. Yeah, this.
3: no, I know. And it's hard. And, and nobody can put their finger on it, because just when you take two steps forward, it's two steps back. It's like, you know, it's 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 a scary situation. But, yeah. Now, what about new music? Is it going to be...
4: We just released a new record, so that's enough for now. Uh, yeah. You know, that's uh, it's called Bon Jovi 2020. And we had it done last year, and then we added a couple other songs that it's really pretty much a socially conscious record what's, you know, a lot of things that happened in the last three, four years. So, um, you know, it's got some good, good messages. And uh, so we put that out in, in October. We did a live version of it in Nashville. Um, and that's it pretty much, you know, no music. Uh, right now we're just going to concentrate on, you know, we'll get together and rehearse once in a while.
3: And beautiful. Well, I want to thank everybody else. <laughs> I want it. Yeah, I know. I know this last year is just but it's it's getting better. We're all going to think positive and we're all going to pray. And did you get your shots?
4: Yeah, I did in January.
1: Okay. Yeah,
3: I did a lot of the
4: shots in January. Uh, Florida's been very good that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm fully vaccinated, too. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Thank it's God. Everybody.
3: Fun. Yeah, please. Everybody. I, I know some people are against the shots, but don't take my word for it. Take the scientists word. Just please. Let's get this thing over and done with.
4: Yeah, the science is pretty good. I, I kinda like the, the genetics of the new stuff and, and how it works. And then hopefully all all vaccinations will be that, that format because it's to me it's genius. It's cleaner, better. And uh, you know, we have to be ready for the next one. You know, but if you're ready for it, you know, like 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 uh, you, you could actually do something about it before it gets to a bad point. You know, but yeah, all you can do is stay safe and positive.
3: Right. Well, well I, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Um, you're always relevant. So it's, you know, and you're you're we all love you at Modern Drama. Our readers love you, as you know, and you've always well, been you for
4: having me. It's very sweet. I appreciate it. And I'm glad about all the stuff you guys are doing. You know, it's not easy to do what you're doing under these circumstances, but you're getting the word out and that's important.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick thing. David, because I want people watching the podcast to know, because we have to make it clear. David took over the company completely last February, three weeks before the pandemic hit. Mm. So he has owned and taken Modern Drama under his wing. we're, We're still in the pandemic. So you could just imagine. So everybody out there, relax a drum is not going away we're going to come we're already coming back stronger and and healthier and things are going to be you know we're going to do our best to keep all our fans happy and our readers and we appreciate your su- su- support i mean that's you know we're all in this together so well, thank you thank you it's it's so much
4: my pleasure guys it's really a wonderful to see you and thanks for having me
1: Really, yeah. thank you tico thank you great. great great words of wisdom and uh, very inspired by your playing for many, many years. And it's great to see you doing better than ever and staying strong, especially under all the circumstances. And thank you everybody for being supportive of Modern Drummer. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy.
4: Thank you. Hi, this is Tico Torres of Bon Jovi. And I want to congratulate Modern Drummer on a fantastic run. Uh, it's one of my favorite magazines because I could always find about some great drummers that are in there that, who's new. Some of the greats there from from the past, uh, their styles, inept, uh, you know, interviews to find out really about the person you never get a chance to meet him. Uh, it's an encyclopedia for drummers. Uh, has you know, whenever there's new equipment, you, you, people advertise there. and You see what's going on. Uh, it's a fantastic magazine. Oh, you know, but stays out forever. Can't do it without you, my friends. You're the best. No, way I lip man on
1: Everybody, stay healthy, stay strong, keep drumming, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Drummer Podcast.
3: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.
2: At Kroger, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store, so you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Kroger app and save from wherever today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability.
1: Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save $1 each with cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone.